Welcome to episode 88 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. So this week, AT&T announced its private 5G edge. And why I find it compelling is that they are pairing mobile edge compute capabilities, extending that relationship they already have with Microsoft Azure for, uh, for 5G core. And now they're leveraging mobile edge compute capabilities from, from Azure. And they're putting this together in sort of a bundle. And what I also like about it is that they're focused on some discrete use cases like manufacturing. I've spoken to manufacturing in the past as being likely 50% of the addressable market, I believe for private wireless. And so on the surface, this feels really compelling relative to Verizon, whom have been announcing a lot of uh, MEC deployments with AWS, but it almost feels to me like they're laying the foundation and there isn't really thing in front of them to focus on because they've got to get that mid-band spectrum deployed, but would love to get your insights. Yeah, I, I think um, this is an interesting development uh, because one, it kind of builds on their relationship with Microsoft Azure. Right. Um, but also it creates a much more comprehensive solution um, that you know, obviously has to involve the CSP, uh, much like Verizon's approach does. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that this um, is, to your point, probably a little bit more mature, um, probably because, you know, AT&T has been doing a lot more network virtualization. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was actually surprised that T-Mobile beat AT&T to standalone. Mm -hmm. um, I thought AT&T was going to be the first one with standalone because, you know, I didn't even know what network slicing was until I talked to AT&T many right. years ago. So yeah. they've been they've been kind of, you know, championing network slicing. And one of the best applications for network slicing is private networks. So yep. I think uh, we're going to see a lot more down the road from AT&T in this space. And to your point, I think it's a, it's got a little bit more teeth to it than what we've seen from Verizon. I'm glad you touched on the network slicing piece because the other aspect of this announcement is the fact that AT&T is going to take a dual path with this and support not only on-go CBRS spectrum, but to your point, slice their public network, you know, to guarantee quality of service for latency and throughput and that sort of thing. So it's a dual strategy. So all around, it looks great. Um, I'll actually at Mobile World Congress next week be meeting with um, an executive um, and talking more about this. And so we, we look to have, you know, a great follow-up podcast recapping Mobile World Congress. And I know you and I will be writing Forbes articles as well. But let's move to your first topic this week. And T-Mobile announced um, an IoT program that harmonizes with uh, Deutsche Telekom. Yeah, so they're calling this TIOT. And it's a, you know, I think the best way to describe it is that it's a global IoT solution. Mm -hmm. um, it's a platform um, in the sense that it's not uh, yet another IoT platform, um, but rather a um, cross-carrier, um, multi-platform, um, multi-device kind of um, solution mm -hmm. that um, I think is going to be targeted squarely on extremely large enterprises 
with very diverse international presences mm -hmm. that need to have a single SLA, um, single contract, um, basically, you know, have a solution that simplifies their global IoT footprint. Um, and I think that this is what this TIOT solution um, delivers because when you combine Deutsche Telekom and T-Mobile US, you know, that's already an enormous percentage of the global footprint for what's possible in terms of deployment. So okay. I think um, this is going to be very interesting to see how it um, can be implemented. And, and I think, you know, obviously Deutsche Telekom using Mercedes-Benz as one of their partners for this uh, mm -hmm. is a demonstration that they have very large enterprise buy-in um, and that this isn't just an, a great idea, but rather something that um, their customers had been asking for. And Deutsche Telekom and T-Mobile US both need each other to get this kind of scale. And yeah. I think what will happen is we'll probably see them supporting more IoT platforms as this matures. And I think um, this kind of size and scale that I would expect this solution to provide will likely um, be an opportunity for IoT platforms to become more standardized mm -hmm. um, and become more um, commoditized, which is, I think, a good thing in the sense that we have so many of these different little IoT platforms and we're going to need some consolidation for uh, the market to really take off. I agree with you. You, know, you and I were afforded a pre-briefing opportunity with Patrick Moorhead, our uh, chief uh, analyst and principal of More Insights and Strategy. And what I like about the solution and the go-to-market, to your point, it's multi-access. So LTE, 5G, you know, LoRaWAN, that sort of thing. So they're not forcing anyone down a certain um, access connectivity point. And I like the fact that uh, they're trying to harmonize things and to your point, I agree, it's gonna be really well suited to large multinational corporations that have offices you know, globally. Um, to your point, IoT is very fragmented as well. And um, the, the, the acquisition and deployment scenarios vary widely by, by country, by region, by geography. So I think there's, there's a lot of value here. And I think this is just the first step. I think we'll see T-Mobile and Deutsche Telekom mature this over time, but I, I think it's a great start. And uh, this really puts some wind in T-Mobile sales in the US with respect to legitimately getting out there in front of their more established competitors that have very mature enterprise businesses with something that's gonna be very compelling for large enterprises, so. And this is also another MWC announcement. So we're probably gonna you know, attend some briefings uh, talk to some execs from T-Mobile um, and, you know, we'll get a better understanding of where things are and hopefully there'll be some demos too. Yeah, good point. Good point. Let's go to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about DISH, Lockheed and Intel partnering to build a 5G network for the U.S. Marine Corps at Camp Pendleton, California. I have a couple of friends that are Marines, Mike and Eric, Urah. But this is exactly what I think DISH needs to focus on. And I've spoke to this in prior podcasts that for DISH to go just head-to-head -head with T-Mobile and with AT&T and Verizon's a losing proposition, they're gonna have to find a way to niche themselves into the market. And this is a great example of that. And so what, what DISH is providing 
is uh, Spectrum as well as engineering services with respect to RF design, open RAN based wireless uh, solutions, and just knowledge of you know fight the 5G ecosystem and devices and, and that sort of thing. And you could argue on the latter, they're fairly new relative to their competitors, but I do really like this. And um, 5G is strategic for the military. There have been recent news articles, not from you and I, but from other analysts. And I think it was actually a former executive of Google that was mentioning that the US is well behind places like China with respect to 5G. We, you and I have talked about the military applications, right? With 5G, with AR and VR and guidance systems and that sort of thing. So this is mission critical. And again, I give Dish kudos and I believe that this will be a model that they replicate so that they're not gonna you know, just try to go head to head with these very, very well-established incumbent, you know, competitors that they're entering the market against. What are your thoughts? Um, one, I think it's uh, great that it's a standalone network. Oh, um, glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Yes, uh, I think that's a big deal because I think all the new applications. Like, I, I, I feel like I can't say this often enough. Standalone is the path to success for 5G. It's the true and, promise of 5G. Yeah, yeah exactly. So like everything else, we're, we're just kind of just um, ignoring the, the elephant in the room, which is we need standalone for, for these applications to succeed. And until that happens, 5G is not really, people have justified complaints about 5G, in my opinion. Yeah. Nevertheless, um, rant over. Uh, I think that having, you know, DISH do these kinds of deploy deployments makes sense. Um, I think that if these deployments are limited in scope um, and don't require too much capital expenditures from uh, DISH, I think there's absolutely an opportunity for um, DISH to do these kinds of deployments on military bases. Kent Pendleton's in my backyard. I live 15 minutes away yeah. from there. So um, it, I'm very familiar with it. It's a very mountainous uh, piece of land that's designed to keep San Diego and LA from merging into one mega city. <laughs> um, and uh, the reality is, I think, uh, if you look at what's going on, Lockheed Martin is really the primary contractor here, and they've yeah. subcontracted to DISH and Intel, um, but ultimately, this is going to be DISH's network that this will run on, right. uh, and to your point, I do think they are much more suited to these kinds of applications um, and enabling 5G in scenarios where, um, you know, the other operators maybe don't have the time or the resources to commit to it, um, this is a great opportunity. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a public network and uh, there can be lots of security built in and hopefully taking advantage of standalone. So yeah. the Greenfield, right? This is a Greenfield network deployment. And uh, I think uh, those are great opportunities for DISH. Great insights. And um, I'll just comment a little bit on the security part since uh, that's part of uh, the practice that, that, um, that I employ at, at More Insights and Strategy. 5G inherently is gonna be more secure. And, uh, and I actually spoke to this on the Today Show and um, it was great. You know, I was asked, you know, what, are, what are 5G superpowers? And it's certainly massive device support, it's security and obviously it's improvement in performance, you know, throughput and latency and that sort of thing. And, you know, you know, to your point, the point that I made as well, standalone marrying 5G core and 5G RAN is gonna make that all, you know, uh, very, very powerful. But let's move to your second topic this week and ahead of Mobile World Congress, you and I have been on tons of pre-briefings this week 
A lot of this information we can't talk about because it's under non-disclosure until next week, but you, want, you do wanna talk about something that, that is public and it's a, a partnership between Rakuten and Qualcomm. Yes, so um, yesterday I got pre-briefed on this. I think I might've actually gotten a pre-brief. No, I got pre-briefed on this even before that. Um, I've lost track was, of all the pre-briefs. That I know, I was, I was actually at Qualcomm headquarters last week. Yeah. Um, I got pre-briefed on this, but it wasn't specifically ra about Rakuten, um, but it was about Massive MIMO and OpenRAN. And now Rakuten is part of this announcement. Um, so Rakuten Symphony, which is their network um, division that helps with OpenRAN deployments, uh, has partnered with Qualcomm to use their um, X100 5, X100 5G RAN accelerator card. Say that five times fast. Yeah, and I actually um, wrote a Forbes article about that announcement with HPE earlier this week. Yeah, and, and then they're using that with their um, massive MIMO Qualcomm QRU100 5G RAN platform. Um, and, and they're basically helping Rakuten to um, deliver open RAN solutions with this combination of their um, 5G RAM platform with uh, their X100 5G RAM accelerator card. So they're able to do massive MIMO with open RAN. Um, and it, this is, you know, obviously an opportunity for Rakuten to deploy both in Japan as well as um, any customers that they might have abroad. And yeah. I have a very strong feeling we'll probably see this at MWC in person. Mm -hmm. um, we'll be able to take a look at it and see, but you know, you're the network infrastructure guy, so I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on this. You know, I, I think it's a, uh, a big move for both companies. I do, and why I like it, Rakuten, and I've spoken to this point in the past, they've been sort of the poster child for Open RAN. They've bloodied their nose, they've, they've stumbled a little bit, but from my perspective, this partnership potentially demonstrates and the notion that Open RAN can, can be performance optimized with something like Massive MIMO, where a lot of naysayers have been saying that Open RAN is really cost optimized or you know, CapEx um, optimized. So yeah, so I mean, I, I didn't have a chance to dig into this. I'm hoping to uh, get more information when you and I are both in Barcelona next week, but on the surface, it looks very compelling, so. But let's move to my third and final topic this week. And I wanna talk about HPE, their, their telco uh, business unit. They announced their private 5G as a service offering. And I was expecting this, was just waiting for uh, the shoe to drop. And no surprise, they're leveraging their GreenLake consumption model. HPE by far has the most mature IT consumption set of services relative to any other infrastructure provider out there. What I also like about this announcement is they are part, they're collaborating also with Aruba. Aruba obviously is the, their, their, their lead enterprise networking division that really drives the strategy and the roadmap for PAN HPE. So I don't often see a lot of collaboration between PAN, you know, the, the, the larger HPE uh, organizations and in Aruba. So this is a nice first step. It also validates the fact that Wi-Fi and private cellular will live together within the enterprise. And what's really gonna dictate the deployment scenario will be workload, distance propagation, and, and, and that sort of thing. So on the surface, it looks you know, super compelling. You know, I've written about HPE uh, on numerous you know, occasions. And 
what, what I really like about the telco division, they are really focused on um, software enablement. So from, from 5G core to automation to orchestration, they also have an extremely strong lab capability in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I've actually spent time with them there. They do a lot of work on uh, blueprinting and um, proof of concepts and have that NEB certification versus Adele Technologies and they're getting more mature and actually I'll have more news to share next week. I was disclosed on a couple of announcements with Dell this week. Dell has been more partner up, you know, focus on common off the shelf server technology and, you know, sort of, you know, go to market you know, that direction. Although again, I'll be sharing some further details that Dell is beginning to mature their approach there, but on the surface, I like it. Um, you know, and I, I'm expecting at Mobile World Congress that we're gonna get a lot more information on other 5G as a service offerings. I'm expecting uh, Salona to have a pretty significant announcement. And um, on the next podcast, I'll probably speak to that as well. Cisco sort of soft launch their private 5G as a service offering earlier this month. They will be providing more details at Mobile World Congress, which makes a lot of sense. So you're seeing a lot of coalescing around private 5G as a service. There are going to be multiple uh, infrastructure providers that provide it. And like I always like to say, with, um, with increased competition breeds cost competitiveness and innovation. So what are your thoughts? Uh, I did, was not able to attend the HPE briefing, but I did read the slide deck. Um, and I was very impressed with one, the fact that they were very upfront that Wi-Fi and 5G are complementary technologies. Yep. Um, two, that they, a lot of this approach is very much about the 5G core. Um, and I like that they already have like pre-integrated 4G, 5G radio solutions. Mm -hmm. um, with Airspan and GMA. Yep. And then on top of that, I also like that, like, they've basically got these, like, core in a box solutions um, that are, like, pre, pre um, you know, configured and ready to go. So you can even have this, like, for military applications or, like, oil rigs. Like, they have these solutions already thought of that can be portable um, and easily, you know, just popped in and go. Um, I, I think that they're really leaning into the core component of these things as well as the edge. Um, and I think that, you know, th they really want to be a leader in 5G core. And, you know, at least right now, it looks like they are. I think they are as well uh, amongst their traditional competitors and the Lenovo's and the Dell's of the world, certainly. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this matures over time. Um, again, I also like the collaboration with Aruba. And from my perspective, I'm often asked, you know, what's going to make a private 5G as a service offering successful relative to like all of these, you know, other, you know, um, offerings. And it's the company that figures out how to simplify it and to make it almost as easy to manage as Wi-Fi within the enterprise. And so I think that was one of the focuses that, that I heard from, from HPE this week. That's a similar focus that I hear from Solana, their startup. Solana is actually partnered uh, with Aruba um, on their as a service offering as well. So HPE is actually offering dual paths here. So it's quite compelling. But 
Let's move to your third and final topic this week. And I caught this news as well. I didn't really dig into it, but Verizon announced a relationship with Audi to, uh, to embed 5G in their vehicles, right? Yep. So um, that's kind of the, the crux of the announcement. Um, I think the important thing here is that um, Audi is actually one of the leaders in implementing cellular connectivity in their cars in the U.S. Yeah. Um, you know, they were one of the first um, to launch 3G and LTE worldwide. Um, so them moving to 5G this early makes total sense. Um, they are um, obviously partnering with Verizon in the U.S. specifically. So this is a U.S. partnership. Yeah. Um, the, the, the announcement is that they're going to be available in model year 2024 vehicles, which means uh, 2023, you know, last quarter of 2023. November, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So this will probably align pretty well with Verizon's um, 5G mid-band, C-band network being rolled out. Um, that said, uh, they are only expected to have 175 million Americans covered by then. Yeah. Um, so by the end of 2024, they'll have 250 million. So I think they'll have a much better footprint by then. Um, and I think their speeds will be very good. So the timing of this is, is very uh, good for Verizon and for Audi um, because, you know, in the automotive industry, things take time a lot longer than they do in other industries. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is good timing for both Audi and Verizon. And, um, you know, this is not the first 5G announcement of an automaker. Uh, GM already announced a 5G partnership with AT&T um, yeah. last year, I believe. So, um, you know, we're seeing the, the alignment of auto manufacturers and the cell carriers. So, yeah, um, I think we're going to keep seeing these announcements from different, different OEMs uh, as, as, you know, they start to plan, plan their 5G deployments. I agree. And we, we did speak to Ford and AT&T's lockup. I'm, I'm actually surprised that um, Audi picked Verizon in the U.S. given the, uh, the lack of maturity and where they're at in their deployment relative to, to T-Bubble and AT&T. I was going to say, you know, from what I've seen, AT&T has been like the number one for auto manufacturers. Right. Like way back when, when I had a Cadillac, it was all AT&T. My yeah. Tesla, I'm like 99% sure is AT&T. Yeah. So I feel like AT&T has a very strong um, heritage in automotive when it comes to cellular connectivity. Um, but, you know, Verizon getting this win also potentially creates some competition for AT&T. Um, I will say, though, as somebody who depends heavily on cellular connectivity in their Tesla, I cannot wait for 5G connectivity, at least in a Tesla-like vehicle, because 4G is kind of slow. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I might be streaming music, which is fine and for maps, but for video content, it's not very good because I'm sure they are QWOSs probably at 10 megabits. Mm -hmm. Just don't play those video games, buddy, when you're driving. <laughs> I heard Tesla shut that, that feature off because it was I didn't even try to, I didn't even try to play games while I was driving. I didn't really <laughs> do that. I assumed it was turned off by, by default. Right. Well, I'll also mention this, that, you know, 5G is going to be critical to get to full autonomy. Um, that's probably not likely for another several years, but the telematics that are required, the road sensors, all of that to make it safe. Tesla's been out in front with that, with their, with their self-driving. It, it has challenges because you need that infrastructure wrapped around it. 
5G is going to provide that low latency and that extremely fast throughput to support that, you know, that use case above and beyond, uh, you know, what you, what you were talking about with, with uh, infotainment and, and, you know. To your point, you know, there's going to be a lot of CV2X applications with 5G mm -hmm. that just weren't possible with 4G. And it, Audi is actually one of the companies out there that, that's moving pretty far ahead with, yeah. um, with CV2X. So we'll see what happens. Um, we don't know what those model year vehicles are going to have in terms of features, but I have a feeling that there's going to be enhanced safety features. Maybe those won't roll out initially when the car is available, but you know, as cars become more software defined um, and you know, electrification of vehicles occurs, you know, yeah. updates are a constant thing and new features occur. Like my Tesla has way more features today, two years later after I got it than it did when I first got the car. So hopefully yeah. Audi is going on the same path with software defined automobiles and we'll see 5g improve as, as as the car matures well hey you know another great example of you know monetizing 5g right i mean the audis the gms the fords of the world they're going to be able to sell to their install base upgraded features right i mean i know on a tesla you can actually unlock you know more horsepower right so it's pretty compelling stuff, but hey, it's been another great podcast as we, you and I both get ready for Mobile World Congress. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights for a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech and I'm on Ashal Saad. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week when we come back from Mobile World Congress.